Good morning, everyone. Um, happy belated Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful time with your friends and family. It's good to be here. I know that we had a wonderful Thanksgiving ourselves with wonderful Thanksgiving spread with turkey and mashed potatoes and all that. So all such good things. Um, back when the pandemic was really rough, my kids, they weren't able to celebrate Halloween like they used to, used to do, you know, get dressed up, go door to door to neighbors. And the thing is, on that, on that particular thing, or Halloween, um, they received goodie packages as they had to stay indoors. And as they unpacked all the goodies, the kids were excited. Um, Millie just starts screaming, saying, look, I got stickers, I got stickers. Then Miles pulls out something and says, look, I got a hand sanitizer. I just thought, like, it's so odd, you know? These are such simple things, and they were so grateful for them. And I envy that because I want some of that kind of Thanksgiving in myself. I think it's important that we have a holiday like Thanksgiving because... It literally makes us just pause our lives to force us to be thankful. And we know this is like such a primal thing for us to always give thanks for things. It's good for us. And yet no matter how convinced we are of that, it's just incredibly difficult to just have this heart of Thanksgiving. Like Thanksgiving's Thursday, and yet the day after you have something called Black Friday, where everything is 50% off, and it's the subliminal message that Don't be too grateful because, after all, there's all this other stuff in life. And that's the thing. It's just hard to be thankful. Psalm 100 is the only psalm that specifically says a psalm of thanksgiving. The only one that actually is described this way. And that's not to say that it's the only psalm that is of thanksgiving, but it's interesting that this is the very description that this psalm gets. And it comes at the end of a collection of psalms called enthronement psalms that call for joyous celebration uh, for the king, for their king. And this is more than just about who sits on an earthly throne, but about the God who is the eternal king on his eternal throne. And for this reason alone, Psalm 100 makes crystal clear, give thanks because God is king over everything. And because of this, Psalm 100, it's inviting us to find gratitude in all the seasons of our lives. And so with that in mind, we consider three things about this psalm. What it means to worship. Who really, really, uh, secondly, who really sustains us. And last of all, who leads us through this life. Those three things, worship, sustaining, and leads. Let's look at the first part here. Worship. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I mean, imagine someone making this kind of statement in the thick of the pandemic, in all the political turmoil, everything that's been going wrong, and someone says, just be joyful. That's like you approaching your friend, telling them about all the struggles that you, that you have in life, the anxieties that you're going through, uh, the, 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 just, the job that's been just eating you away, and, and you, you just lay all this out before your friend, and your friend just turns to you and says, make a joyful noise we would consider this person to have lost their mind. I mean, think about how much this statement lacks compassion in those circumstances. And that's exactly what Psalm 100 can sound like. But there's more depth to this than meets the eye. This psalm already considers the weary, the discouraged, the doubtful, 
the angry, and the brokenhearted. Because Psalm 100 is written during the time of exile, where the people of God have no home, they have no temple to worship in, there is no joy in the streets, no time frame of when they would turn or whether, this, whether things will go back to normal at all. No one is spared. In this context, Psalm 100 calls us to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This isn't a call for us to have cheery optimism. Instead, the psalm is calling us to worship. Look at what verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. And that specific phrase there for serve the Lord is used of temple priests uh, that would perform their daily duties to fulfill Israel's worship. And it's also the same phrase used in Exodus when Moses pleaded with Pharaoh on behalf of God, let my people go so that they may what? Be free? No, he says, so that they may serve me. Worship. Which goes to show that freedom is not about whatever I want to do when I want to do it. But freedom ultimately is about who you worship. Who do you really serve? In America, we pride ourselves by being rugged individuals where no one tells us what to do and we set the ter- our own terms of our lives. That's what we pride ourselves off of. So this idea of servitude is a little bit foreign to us. And yet here's what one so- social commentator uh, says about our lives. He says this, what individualism has brought us is not the end of servitude, but merely the cloaking of masters. Individualism isn't about freedom so, ma- so much as it is, it is envy of the powerful and the dominant, end quote. In other words, you and I, we serve someone or something, masters, whether we like to admit it or not. To serve money leaves you spiritually bankrupt. To serve God is an investment on the riches of his mercy and grace. To serve your reputation leaves you guessing before the eyes of people whether you're ever going to be good enough, whether the credentials are enough. And there's, a, there's this ever so fear of failure because f- from then for sure people will keep know that I'm not enough. And yet to serve God brings conviction that Jesus is enough and that he loves us regardless of what we have achieved or failed at in this life. To, uh, to serve love suffocates it. To serve God cultivates love. To serve the Lord means to worship God as Lord over everything, especially when life doesn't make any sense. Especially when life doesn't make any sense. You know, the more that I serve God as a pastor, you know, that's essentially my job, to serve God. And yet the more I serve him, the more I find myself wrestling with him because the fact is, the way that God operates is not the same as I would like to operate. We're at odds with each other a lot of times. And a lot of things that he does doesn't make sense to me. So it's easier for me to argue with him than to serve him most of the times. I'm hoping you're the same way at times. And I realize this, uh, I realize more often than not, I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace when he agrees, when God can agree with me. It's the only time I feel like I'm at peace. But that's not worship. 
One Episcopal minister put it this way. He said, the fact that we come to worship means that we accept the possibility that we could be wrong. You could be wrong. You could be wrong about your approach to life. You could be wrong about your approach to money. You could be wrong about your approach to sexuality. You could be wrong. That's what essentially it means for us to step in here and worship God. The fact is, we all could be wrong. And I know that's not exactly flattering. But to worship God means to worship on his terms, regardless of whether what's going on in our lives makes sense to us or not. And it's through this means of worship that makes us realize who truly sustains you. Who truly sustains you? Which brings us to our second point here. Structurally speaking, in Psalm 100, it's something called a chiasm, where the words are arranged in a particular way to highlight the center message of the psalm. So you find in verse 1 through 2, it parallels verses 4 through 5. And each section commands three commands of what to do. But verse 3 is more of a proclamation, where he says, Know that the Lord, he is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. Think about that statement. It's a bit redundant. It's a redundant sentence because it would be like me saying a person is a human, which doesn't really say much at all. So why do it here in verse 3? The psalmist isn't trying to bring up anything new, but to emphasize what's always been true. And the better translation here is actually, know that Yahweh, he indeed is God. And you have to understand here, one of the, uh, one of the promises that Israel held on to uh, is, is this idea of the Davidic covenant, a promise that God, uh, a promise that God made saying, you will always have a king on the throne to protect and watch over you. That was the promise. A king would always be there to protect and watch over you. Yet if you look at the list of the kings, pretty much all of them were a complete disappointment. You find King Rehoboam who caused a nation to split apart. You look at King Jeroboam who introduced idolatry worship. You look at Solomon who was a womanizer. King David, arguably the best king that they ever had. And yet he is the greatest failure in Israel's history. After all those kings, there is an empty throne as the people remain exiled. And four nations laugh and scoff. Here's what verse 3 is getting at. No matter how lonely you feel, how much you have in your bank account, who becomes president or who doesn't, no matter how anxious or uncertain you are about how your life is going to pan out or how much of a failure you are, know that the Lord your God will never leave you nor forsake you. He is Lord over everything. He is Lord over your life. For the psalmist says, it is he who made us and we are his. One commentator suggests that there's this ambiguity in this phrase. See, the natural way to read this is God as creator, which also means our sustainer. And yet, on the other hand, he who made us can also refer to when God chose and made Israel his own people, after he delivered them from the Egyptian, uh, Egyptian oppression. It never occurred to me until I read this biblical scholar named Ross Blackburn on this, that when the Israelites would cry out, 
cried out of their affliction, they never mention God's name. They never mention God's name as they're crying out. So when you read the early chapters of Exodus, you never find any mention of them specifically crying out to God. They simply cried out in anguish, hoping that someone would hear them. And God did. Man, I've been looking for housing uh, to come up here, and doing it with two little kids is quite a challenge because they've been crying out quite a lot. So I hear phrases like, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm tired. When are we going back? And I'm like trying to get locked in, and no matter how much I'm focused on my mission and finding a place, I cannot ignore their cries. And yet the Lord hears. He delivers. If God is willing to listen to a nation that did not know his name to deliver them, how much more so the cries of, a, of his people who do know his name? How much, more willing is he, uh, how much more willing is he to answer that? Know that the Lord, he is God. And only he can sustain us. One brother, he was sharing with me, I asked permission for this, and he, he was sharing with me that during the pandemic, he... Um, couldn't find a job fast enough, so he was really hurting financially to the point where he couldn't eat. And out of God's gracious sovereignty, one of his friends showed up with food at his front door and some groceries for him to last through the week. And his response to this the very next day was to find a church, and he could barely walk because he was so, um, he, he lost so much energy from not eating, and he could barely walk, but he was so adamant, I need to go up to a house of worship. And as he showed up to this church, he started weeping in gratitude. And during this time, he wrote out this prayer that he shared with me. And he said, Dear Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father and God in heaven, the first thing I would like to pray for is to express my gratitude to you for everything that we have and that we may take for granted. Thank you for the air that we breathe. Thank you for, for letting the sun rise this morning. And thank you for letting the sun set down after dawn. Thank you for the moon that shines at night at nighttime to let us know who you are, God, and that this world is following the rules of creation that you set when you created all that there is. Amen. I was reflecting on his story and his prayer, and I realized that you and I, we probably have more than he does, but do we also have just as much joy and gratitude? Do we have just as much joy and gratitude? And please, don't, don't mistake in my question for some, some sort of manipulation of guilt-tripping you into gratitude. That, that's not the point here. My purpose is one of perspective. That when you have what you need, it's hard to give thanks sometimes. Why is it that this brother can have so much joy and gratitude who is in less than ideal circumstances you know what I believe the difference is? He knows who sustains him. He knows who sustains him. To believe is to give thanks. And to give thanks is to believe, to know that, know that the Lord your God, he is God, he who made us and we are his. Because what sustains you will lead you to where you need to be. Which brings us to our final point here. Who really leads us? The Bible often connects kingship with this image of a shepherd caring for his sheep. And hence, in the last line of verse 3, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
And I believe verse 4 plays on with this imagery of a shepherd leading his flock to greener pastures because there's a sense of movement. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. They are being led inside the gates of the temple, not just the place of worship, but the very presence of God himself, where the grass is greener with fresh streams of water to replenish our weary hearts. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. That God is the eternal king who leads us to himself. And the way that he accomplishes this is by sending the ultimate good shepherd to us. Where we find Jesus in John 10 calling to all of us, I am the good shepherd. Enter into my gate because I came that you may have life abundantly. And that key word is abundantly here. Do you realize how rich in grace and mercy, how deep the steadfast love of God really is? That God says, I want to be with you. And yet we say, get lost. God says, I want to give you a new life. We choose death. God wants us to free us. We say, I got used to my addictions. God says, give me your shame. But we say, no, I think I'm just going to keep it. God loves you with his eternal, everlasting love. And all we can think is, what's wrong with me? And yet despite all this and then some, God has still chosen to be good to us. He's still chosen to be good to us. Um, My wife, Kathy, she's not into snails. She doesn't like them. I think something with the eyes and how they use them. It freaks her out a little bit, just a little, right? Just a little. One time, it was raining outside, and Miles decided he wanted to pick up snails. He gets on his yellow raincoat. He's kind of like a shepherd. He's collecting all these snails, and he, he brings them to my wife, Kathy, and he says, look at all the snails, and there are like 20 of them. Kathy's like, oh, that's great, and, you know, she's just following him around, and here, is, here this kid is a shepherd of the snails, moving aside, making sure they're in safe places and spots so they they don't get smushed on. And Kathy couldn't help but accept these snails as, I guess, somewhat lovely creatures by then, because after all, they're his snails. And that's the thing. God chose to die for not half-decent people, but for the ungodly. He chose to die for the ungodly Jesus was vouching for us. Someone vouched for us, and someone is vouching for us. Jesus is the good shepherd who vouches for the ungodly, and he does it at the cost of his own life. The good shepherd lays down his life for all of us. He's advocating for us so that the steadfast love of God would endure in our lives no matter what season of life we're actually in. This isn't just an occasion for us to give thanks, but an invitation for us to enter the gates of eternal joy, where the good shepherd gives life abundantly. And it's for this reason alone the psalmist can sing, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Friends, would you join me in a word of prayer?
Father God, as we think about having hearts of gratitude, I mean, the practical things are nice for us to write down three things that we're thankful for throughout the day, for us to make a Thanksgiving tree. Those are all good. But at the end of the day, Lord, only you can change our hearts to be able to see that you are the Lord and you promise to be our shepherd and you promise to lead us where the pastures are greener and the water is fresher for our souls. Teach us time and time again who truly sustains us, Lord. Remind us once again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.